The Becoming Unsilenced podcast is about awakening to the greatest potential you always were. Listen to teachings, interviews, and inspiring stories of others who have challenged the accepted, expanded possibility, and merged modern day life with ancient wisdom to discover their greatest potential. When you become fearless, you become limitless. Now be inspired by today's episode. Thank you for joining me today on the Becoming Unsilenced podcast. I'm so excited to have Melanie Miller as my guest here today. Melanie is from my own hometown and she is a very cool uh, lady and you guys are going to be delighted to hear a little bit of her story today but melanie was born and raised in antelope county nebraska rural nebraska and but she lived on the east coast for 30 years where she attended seminary was ordained in the united church of christ and served churches in maine new york and virginia she returned home in the fall of 2015 and is raising cattle preaching, working and building a community and building her dream home, which I just heard a little bit about today, which sounds fantastic. So welcome, um, Melanie, to the Becoming Unsilenced podcast. And our mission here is really to grow, nurture, and support women so that they can no longer live from a place of fear, doubt, and trauma. And instead, step into their own significance, their own authenticity, and live what I call an unsilenced life, which is just stripping away all of those those things that keep our voices as women silent. What a great mission. Oh. Yeah. And it's been a lifetime for me of sort of navigating that and trying my, trying my best. Yes, and which is why I wanted to have you here today. So ironically, um, Melanie and I connected for this podcast around a comment that she put on Facebook about um, her tractor. And, you know, we share in the fact that we've spent many years in male-dominated careers and the influence that has had. So we might talk about that a little bit today. And Uh, then if you have been with us through the launch of this season you'll know that one of the things we're focusing on this season is the five top ways that women are silenced. One of those is religion. And Melanie's going to, who better to talk about silencing than religion than a female pastor? So, all right. So cheers. We've got our cup of coffee here. Perfect. And we're ready to go. So, yeah. So where where do you want to dive into the conversation? Well, let's start at religion. Religion. I yeah. I um, was raised in a fundamentalist evangelical church, and received all those messages from birth. Um, when you say all those messages, uh, can you cl- absolutely? I can. <laughs> un- I can unpack that. that. Um, I would say the first and the fir- the strongest message that women receive in fundamentalist circles is that Eve is the problem of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and thus, we, women, are the source of all Are problems. the source of all evil. Um, fundamentalists who may listen to this might say, well, that's not what we say and that's not fair. And yet, that is, that is the dominant message. message that you receive. And from, you know, 
from that sin of Eve, from that eating of the apple, um, we are, we're suspect. Yeah. We, we're, we're, we're the temptress. Um, and I think what, what I've, what I've started to realize is even though not everyone in Neely in Antelope County in Nebraska or the United States is evangelical, those messages are so, run so deep in our culture, in American culture. And so you may not have been raised fundamentalist and yet get, guess what? Um, the culture uh, is built on that misogyny and that patriarchy. I, I agree with that completely. I think those messages and those threads are so woven into our culture that they they sneak up in ways that we don't anticipate. Okay, so Eve, source of all the problems because you know we can't trust females to make good decisions. She ate the fruit. What else? What other messages? Oh, clothing. Um, you know, and again, that's, that's um, you know, being the temptress. Women in evangelical circles are policed. Their bodies are policed. Their clothing is policed because we must stay chaste. We must not tempt men. And now I just, you know, that's so ridiculous. Men are never taught to be responsible for their emotions or their actions. It's always women who are told not, you know, don't. Don't tempt them. Don't do anything to um, uh, incite them, or you know, it's it's it all comes back to us, or at least it did in in that framework that I was raised in. So, clothing, body, um, good grief, it's so deep. Can I offer one from my own experience? Absolutely. Is this idea that we're broken, that we're somehow beyond repair, and that without um, some magical help, we're not ever going to be possibly glued back together. And that goes, I think that goes back to original sin. Yeah. And that magic help comes from Jesus, yes. right? And without that magic help, we're nothing. Exactly. We're nothing. We are, we're lost. We are guilty. We are convicted. Um, and, and I could think of, you know, how I received those messages as a child and how I've spent years and years and years unwinding those out of my own belief system. Women should be silent in church. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many of us grew up with that message? How many of us, and, and again, it's not just evangelical, it's, it's Catholic, it's some Lutheran denominations, it's some... Um, you know, Islam has that thread. Judaism has that thread. I think all religions have that fundamentalist thread running through them. Um, and so I think so many women throughout the world have been, have been taught that you need to be silent because you can't be trusted. You certainly don't know what you're talking about. You are other, you are less. And that starts bubbling up in all sorts of ways throughout cultures everywhere. That expands into this career where we're talking about being in male-dominated careers. And woman after woman after woman that I talk to, whether they're in an interview process and, you know, they're the woman who gets declined 
for the job, uh, a female physician that, that a, a friend of mine who um, you know, talks about the things that female physicians are expected to do that men aren't expected right. to do. The women, the appropriate careers for women and less appropriate. And I think in some ways we are, we're making progress and in some ways <laughs> it feels like there was a little progress being, being made. made. Yeah. 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 And I, I, um, I watch younger clergy women and I'm so inspired and a little jealous um, because so many of them really own their their bodies and their minds in ways that I never did. I had so much self-doubt and so much what am I doing and, you know, feeling like an imposter, feeling like I was going to be found out. And maybe they do too and they don't just sh and they don't show it. But um, their ability to challenge in really creative ways, to challenge patriarchy and misogyny, it's so inspiring. And so I think, yes, there are changes that have been made. There, we are making progress. And yet, yeah. I watch how um, women who dare question, who dare say, this is not okay, how they're silenced and demonized. Or they're just, they're not even speaking up. Um, and part of that is sometimes we don't have the skills on how to speak up right. in a way. You know, one of the things I'm, I firmly teach uh, women about is conflict-free communication and conversation where I can say everything that I need to say without stepping on your toes. And in a way that we can invite conversation instead of blame. And what do you think that's about? Do you think that's about just generations of women not ever speaking their truth? Um, and so we don't know, we don't know how to do it in a way that doesn't bring about conflict. Yeah, well I think it goes back to family patterns replicating and we communicate essentially how you know, growing up age zero to seven, that's when our minds are open filters and everything that we see happen is pretty much establishes that baseline of how we're going to operate going forward. And I think that's where our baseline communication is established. So if we never saw anybody role model that positive, healthy, proactive communication instead of I see so many women um, passively and aggressively communicating and they don't even realize they're doing it. That's just the only thing they know. And so that's why I also partner the skill set. I mean, we have to learn the skill set in order to be able to, to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, rewind back to when you decided to go into seminary, what spurred that in you? So I grew up in a fundamentalist church. Women were not ordained. Women could not speak in church. And yet, with like with so many churches, women were responsible for so much of it. You know, they were responsible for the children. They were responsible for Sunday school. Although, you know, the person really running the show was a male, and yet all the women did the work, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how it operated. Yeah. Um, but they could not, uh, they couldn't speak from the pulpit. 
um, they could sing special music that was allowed. Um, and so I, because it never even crossed my mind to be a minister, I wanted to be a missionary because women were allowed to be missionaries. Um, so I wanted to be a missionary and I would, when I was a kid, I, I preached to my dad's cows. There was a, I would put a five gallon bucket, uh, stand on a five gallon bucket. There was a fence post that was cut in an angle. And I, you know, told them all they were going to hell and needed to accept Jesus Christ as their (laughs) Lord and personal savior. And then we would sing just as I am over and over again. And I would have an altar call and all the cows would come forward. Oh, Uh, I love it. So again, (laughs) modeling. Modeling exactly what you had heard and learned. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so... My version of that, by the way, was lining up the little tiny people, you know, the plastic people, the Fisher-Price people. And uh, they would all have a problem because someone would get in trouble because they didn't act right. And then they would all gather together (laughs) to to get in trouble. So that was my version of that. Isn't that interesting that that's what you thought church was? Yeah. You've got to act the right way or you're going to get in trouble. And And that was what church was. That's what the whole model is based on. And that just blows my mind. You know, I often say, so I, I, um, I went through what I call sort of normal adolescent evolution, where you just start questioning everything that you're raised. You start questioning your parents because your parents don't know anything and sort of started questioning religion and then landed in a UCC church. Okay. And for the first time in my life, religion wasn't about those lists of rules. Uh. It was about relationship. And that shift was so um, just mind-blowing for me. Like, what is this? I'm in a community where they actually care about me. Not Probably about, almost felt a little suspect, like, what's I going know. on here? They don't care about what I'm doing. <laughs> They're not, you know, it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about relationship. And so that was really incredibly transformational for me. And so from there, I went to seminary, and seminary um, was both wonderful and excruciating because when I started seminary, I really started deconstructing. Mm. And so that... okay. Which is, which is an interesting time when you begin to see that some of the things you've built your belief system on aren't true. Right. Most of the things yeah. I had built my belief system on I discovered weren't true. Yeah. And it, it was... It was physically painful. Um, I oftentimes say that those belief systems were part of me on a cellular level and so shedding those was excruciating in so many ways emotionally and physically intellectually um and i and i had this odd sense of superiority um when my the first day in my old testament class in seminary um the professor said open up your bibles to isaiah and i opened up my bible to isaiah and i looked around the room and everybody else was looking at an index to see where Isaiah was, and I was like, "What? How can I you knew right where to turn? How can you be in seminary and not know where Isaiah is?" Um, and then I slowly began to realize. I actually just had the realization not so long ago that um, okay, 
I was the oddball in the room. I was the freak in the room. Wow, how interesting. That, that how awful, Melanie, and to be able to say how awful that you were indoctrinated in that way. Yeah. That by the age of five, you were memorizing scripture and you knew all the books of the Bible and you, you know, that kind of, and, and I think for many for many churches that's just normal but it's it's indoctrination and it's propaganda in a way that no child should really ever be formed in that way yeah. and, and and part of that was all those rules yeah so i i think when i when i'm listening to you and i hear that and i think when i look at religion there's such a difference between religion as a um, institution and spirituality of connecting with that spirit, that soul that lives inside of all of us. And yet, that's what religion is supposed to be about. But yet, all of these rules, all of these rituals, all of these structures have so clouded and disconnected religion from what it was created to be. Right. And I think, um, you know, the whole the whole debate about the Ten Commandments in in courthouses or or wherever, you know, separation of church and state. But this all this group of people who need the Ten Commandments to be visible. Um, and I think, you know, for so many of them, those Ten Commandments are symbolic of purity culture, that list of do's and don'ts. And so for them, living a righteous, pure life is sort of the end goal. You know, never breaking a commandment, that's the end goal. And I want to say, but that, but those Ten Commandments are all about relationship. They're yeah. all about living in relationship. And um, so the end goal is creating healthy, whole relationships, not being pure and chaste and right and that's where it goes back to some of those messages that we receive. We receive these messages that we're broken, we're not enough, we're wrong. It's hard to create healthy whole relationships when you feel that judged inside. Absolutely. I'm not capable is really the message that you receive. Yeah. Um... Yeah. yeah. We even get in our culture this idea that, well, if I find this partner that makes this perfect match, then we'll be this one whole person. But how can you be, how can half of an egg merge with another half of an egg to ever form a whole egg? It doesn't work that right. way. You, you have to find that place of wholeness with inside of you before you can ever be in healthy relationship. With others so fundamentally it's a fundamental building block absolutely and just the nonsense that um, I was sold as a as, as a kid about relationships you know um, and 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 sexuality you know the message that you're supposed to be pure and chaste until marriage sex is bad awful before marriage and then suddenly you're supposed to flip a switch 
and it's suddenly good. Yeah, right. And then um, we wonder why there's issues inside marriages. Right. And, and the notion um, that you talked about before that we're all sold this notion that God has, God has the perfect person for us, this soulmate, so to speak, that God has picked. Um, Can we just call it the bullshit that it is? Yes, it just (laughs) sets us up for so much pain. It does. You know, and I lived that myself, uh, you know, and 17 years struggling marriage that really the end of that marriage was the catalyst for my own awakening up to the fact that how I was running on autopilot on so many things that didn't, didn't serve me. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I see, you know, where I stand today. I see every relationship that comes into my life as there to serve a purpose and serve me and serve that person in our own mutual growth, whether, six months or six years or a lifetime but this idea that I have to be harnessed to this person for a lifetime because when I was 18 and (laughs) made a decision that was completely following the path that I had been indoctrinated in and you know I, I delayed divorce for myself for several years because of the fear of condemnation of my family and friends that that was reality and i that breaks my heart that you were unhappy for so long yeah. and and you didn't do what you needed to do because of those messages and i just think um how much time did i lose how much time did you lose yes. how many women are still out there who are miserable who don't find their own happiness worthy of pursuing. Right. You know, it's interesting. With, when I decided to file for divorce, one of my sisters knew. And then as I kind of shared it with the greater family, I really was trying to explain to my mom and dad why I was doing this. And, you know, they just thought I needed to get with it and get along. And I remember my sister saying to me one day, you know, I hate to tell you this, but they don't have your happiness is not their priority. And wow, I needed to hear that that day. And I needed to hear, she then went on to say, but it's okay for you to have your happiness as your priority. And that was a mold that we needed to break in our family cycles there to say, and it's a mold that, wow, what, what would women the power and the presence women would bring to this world if we all put our own happiness as number one priority in our life. Right. And let's take that back to the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So you're supposed to follow all these rules about marriage and relationships. And and for them, that's the end goal. As long as you follow those rules, you're okay. Then we've measured up to that stick of perfection or whatever. But... Yeah, I mean, um, that's not the goal, right? Yeah. The, the, the goal is relationship and wholeness, relationship and wholeness. And I think if we could shift that culturally, because I think um, any failed relationship can be devastating. Any failed relationship can be painful. 
but if we can make that shift to okay this is this is ending and how do we do this in a way that honors who we are, where we've been, where we're going. How do we make this into something that's okay? Yeah. And not something where we have to draw the other person in it as the villain. Right. And um, and have this lifelong uncomfortable battle drawn right in this in the sand. Yeah, I find that very interesting. And I was Hurt people hurt people, and healing people heal people. And we often get involved in this blame game about whose fault things were. And I, I don't know. I think some of that, where do you think that comes from, the need to blame other people? I mean, Eve, good Lord, right? Yeah, you're right, right back to where we started. Right at the very beginning of the narrative. Yeah. Um, the very first relationship. Um, that's interesting. I'm just I'm sitting here thinking about biblical models of relationship and how often there is somebody to blame, right? And what would those... Are there any healthy models in biblical <laughs> narratives? All right, maybe that's for a different day. Holy cow. We're going to come Who back. going down the, the rabbit holes. Yeah, right? we're going to have a whole series on, on that one. Um, so, so let's go back to your experience, you know, 30 years of a, as a pastor. Yes. What did you learn in those 30 years about Ooh. being a woman and becoming unsilenced in your role as an individual and as a leader? Um... So, like I said, I, I started my deconstruction from, from fundamentalism in seminary. And up until just recently, I thought that that was, you know, kind of a one and done. Okay, I deconstructed. It's over. But I've been realizing that those, oof, those belief systems run deep. And just having the awareness that, okay, they're still there. And there will be things that pop up and just kind of, okay, that's where that comes from. And then... Um, just shifting thinking and thinking about it in a different way. So it's not, it's still, you know, it's still a journey. But I think um, so much of those early years in ministry, I felt, you know, imposter syndrome, like, who am I? Yeah. Uh, uh, and how did you overcome that? How did you step out of that imposter feeling? It took a long time. It took a really long time to be comfortable with being the expert in the room. And I, I know theology. I know the Bible because guess who taught me about the Bible? Fundamentalists <laughs> taught me about the Bible. I am probably, you know, especially in the, in the, in a room of, um, liberal pastors, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I probably know the Bible better than anybody else in the room. So yeah. I can claim that I can claim I'm an expert in this. And I can speak two different languages. I can speak um, a liberal progressive theological language, and I can also speak uh, a fundamentalist language if I need to. But more and more, I would say through the years, um, I became more frustrated and more exhausted. Um, I think even the best churches, even the most liberal progressive churches, 
the model of church is built on a patriarchal model. Yeah. And it just became increasingly frustrated. And some of that was as simple as just, um, you know, being out with a friend and being introduced to mutual friends as this is Melanie, she's a pastor. And then having those people assume they knew who I was. Based on that one Based title. on that one title. And that was exhausting and heartbreaking in some ways. And and then, you know, the, the compulsion to, well, let me explain myself. I'm not that kind of a pastor. And not wanting to do that anymore. Yeah. Not wanting to take that on. So was there a moment, a turning point, where you decided to step out of that role? There was, and it probably had more to do with just burnout. And, mm -hmm. I, and I suppose a lot of that burnout did have to do with just being tired, being tired of, of that role and all the assumptions that came with it. But the last church that I served was truly wonderful. Um, but there was an enormous amount of pastoral care that, that happened there. And... Um, just being tired yeah. after after 20 years um, and my dad had been wanting me to come home and take over the house so that he could retire fully and we, it was it's interesting we were on the phone one day talking and I was I was I was tired and frustrated and he said you know if you were to come home and you didn't like it it wouldn't have to be forever and I went, oh, of course. And in that moment, had the freedom to say, all right, I'm going to try this. Wow. That brings up another huge, great example because we put so much pressure on ourselves to know ahead of time. We expect ourselves to know ahead of time the right answers to everything. Right. And instead of saying, it's okay to try, and the result that I get is feedback about whether I want to continue on this path or whether I don't want to continue or whether I want to go on a slightly different path. And why don't we live every day of our lives like right? that? Why is it so revolutionary for me to hear somebody say, if that doesn't work, it's okay? Yeah. And how much freedom would we have if we could just, again, approach every day like that? I tried this. It isn't working. What can I do differently? I can let go of it instead right. of the shame and judgment and guilt about uh, I screwed up. I right. know, I did something wrong. No, I, we can let go of it. Yeah, and and let it be feedback that says, okay, I know I don't want to do that anymore. Right. Yeah. So you came home to take care of the cows. And how has this piece of your journey helped you reflect into women, their voices, who we are in our society? You know, living on the East Coast for so long, <clears throat> where women, I think, tend to be, um, perhaps more liberated than women in rural areas. Um, although I think it's safe to say that all women struggle with the same issues. Um, whew, 
the burden of the majority of the domestic labor, unpaid domestic labor. I don't think it matters, uh, urban or rural, that women carry the load for domestic unpaid labor. Agreed. Um, and yet, I would say, larger percentages of women on the East Coast work outside the home, are educated. Um, so I guess moving back, um, trying to navigate this is maybe this is where I grew up, and this is where I received all of those messages, and so it's like. Every corner I turn, oh, I'm sort of confronted with childhood and becoming. And sometimes that's wonderful and sometimes that's difficult. Um, for example, uh, the house that I'm building, I was up on my hill recently and, the, and, and my house overlooks um, my grandpa's farm where I live now, where um, where I grew up. And so there was something so wonderful about looking over that space and realizing this place formed me, this land formed me and feeling so connected to that place in a more organic, spiritual way. But then I think the difficult part surfaces when, um, you know, you're in town and you run into somebody who you went to church with when you were a kid and you were like, oof, you know, um, consciously or unconsciously those old those old patterns and frameworks are there so I'm curious about you you've come back into this world with a much different perspective how comfortable is it for you to share that new perspective confidently when you probably engage someone who sees the old Melanie and doesn't understand and see outside of that personality. So last year about this time, I um, took a call to serve a church in the area. And in order to do that and not feel the ways that I did in the past, I told myself that I would do my best to be my authentic self. To not hide this fact that I have deconstructed from fundamentalism. To not hide the fact that I now believe that that framework, that that belief system does enormous harm. Not just to women, but to men. And to everybody. Um, and to help people see how those belief systems are so much a part of our, our culture here. Um... And yet, to have the knowledge that I have to be really, really careful how I do that. Because the language that I use can alienate people immediately. Yeah. And yeah. so, to, to honor that balance of, yes, I need to be myself, I need to be authentic, or I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. But to also recognize that, okay, you need to do this in a way that people can hear it. Mm -hmm. Because if they can't hear it, they're not going to want you in this space. Right. Right. And when you cut off an ear to start with, 
or when someone cuts their own ear off because they don't want to listen to right. the word, right. um, then it drives backwards, progress backwards. I, you know, I think we see that in so many other aspects in our world today, in politics, and even how right. COVID has been approached. Yeah. Um, so I honor the wisdom in that for you of saying, I need to look at how I can use language that is heard, that then allows people to form and shape new perspectives. And I don't know how well I'm doing. It may be too soon to tell. Um, I recently, and, and you know, and still the self-doubt is there, right? Like it's, it's, it's always there. Um, recently I said in church, I've, I've started doing this thing where my benediction on Sunday morning turns into a second sermon. And I, what I really try to do in that time is to connect the sermon and the biblical text with very concrete everyday things. So um, recently I said, and it's been haunting me, it's been playing over and over in my brain because I worry about how people heard it. I said, um, we've been told that um, the most important thing is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you that that's not the most important thing. And I went on, and, and so that's been playing over in my head because I think there was a better way you could have said that, that people maybe could have heard it differently. What I wanted to say was, and I think this goes back to women and all of the things that we combat that come from religion. So it's not about, it's not about our personal relationship in the sense that it's about our personal relationship. Because we relate personally. That's how, there, there can be, there's no other way of relating. We all relate on a personal level. I relate to you on a personal level. I relate to the world, to all of creation, to God. Um, and so, yeah, of course. But to assume that my personal experience is the only one is where we get hung up and is where we start to stumble. And that's what I was trying to say, is that um, there is not just one personal experience of God. There are so many out there. And I think, um, you know, going back to, to women and how we relate, to honor that, to talk about that, this has been my experience. And I think so often especially in fundamentalist religions, there's only one personal experience that's valid. That's such a great point. And if your one personal experience doesn't look like, smell like, right. act like what the expectation is, then it's not valid. You know, I, I've lived my own journey of reconciling those fundamental beliefs to a new perspective. The fact that you know, our, our spirit is a spark of the greater creator, whether you use the word universe, God, whatever. But that same spark that's in me is in you. And that same spark that's in you and me is in the tree that right. is out there, that is in the bird that is out there, that 
everything that's part of creation. And when we judge, if I judge that spark in you, I'm judging that same spark in me. And instead, when we recognize and realize the, the greater connectedness, the greater oneness, it allows for each person's journey to look what's meant to be. I, I've come to love this term, pravda karma. Are you familiar no. with it? It is a, a word that comes from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, and it's a, de, a word that describes the fact that we're each here in life on our own personal course of learning, our own personal school of learning that was meant and designed for each of us. So my own Pravda Karma is never going to look like right. yours. Yours isn't going to look like mine. And when we can embrace that, all the things we encounter on our journey, including as, as transformational women being alive in this day and age, you know, your voice is necessary to be heard. My voice is necessary to be heard so that we can bring about the shifts and change. So we act like that candle that lights the path forward for others. And it breaks my heart that so many women who are trapped in fundamentalist belief systems do not have their own personal journey. Their journey is all about men. Well, that's what we're here to break, right? Oh, amen. To shine some light right. on. And this kind of feels like a, a good place to wind down our conversation. If, if you had the ability to share one piece of wisdom and message to all the, the women who are going to be listening to this, what would that just kind of one nugget of truth be? Ooh. Healing and wholeness is what God desires. Healing and wholeness. And I think, um, a a as I just um, spoke about growing up in a fundamentalist um, framework, my wholeness was never talked about. My wholeness was never a priority. And so... Um, find those people in those places uh, that are about resurrection and transformation, but for you, find those people and places that support you in your becoming and, um, and live there, um, make your home there. Yeah. And I'm going to share in just a moment how you can do that through our community you're hearing this today so two final questions for you how has connecting back to your own wisdom inside of you um, helped you to become unsilenced oh the thing that comes to mind is trust it took me so long to trust myself yeah trust yeah beautiful trust and 
Who is unsilenced Melanie? Oh. Unsilenced Melanie is about grace, not just for herself, but for people around her, um, to know that we're all in this journey together and we're doing the best that we can. And sometimes those old patter patterns and those old voices tend to dominate and we kind of get sucked back in. I know that I do sometimes. And to just offer yourself grace, to have an awareness, you know, it's like meditating, you know, acknowledge the thought, but let it go. Yeah. I don't always do that well. Sometimes I grab onto that thought and I work it. But when I do that, to offer myself grace and to offer those around me grace, um, to just be kind and gentle. I think that's a word becoming, you know, in, in the name of the podcast, becoming unsilenced is becoming represents that journey. And it's more about the journey than the destination mm. that we arrive because so many layers of transformation yeah. that we can take on thank you so much for being here today and thank you for the opportunity this, this has been so great been fantastic and if you've been out here listening today and on our conversation please drop a comment let us know what you thought about it what resonated with you what questions came about because of this conversation and then most of all, I want to share with you if this resonated with you today. This is a community where you can truly become unsilenced. Our community believes in connection back to your own inner wisdom and spirit, healing the past, and then taking inspired action towards your future. And we have a whole community of of experiential learning to help you do that. So you can start by checking out in the show notes in the below um, a link to a quiz. So you can take the Becoming Unsilenced quiz and kind of get a score to see like, where are you at on this unsilenced journey? And then from that, um, you can come into one of our workshops, our one-on-one -on -one transformational coaching, which is where the true rubber meets the road and you can really accelerate this pace of healing and learning and connection or you can join one of our unsilenced communities and unsilenced circles excuse me we have small groups of women dedicated to supporting each other through the growth their own growth and journeys that meet on a regular basis that's our unsilenced circles and then if you're hearing this and you feel like oh my gosh this is my mission is to help further this idea of becoming unsilenced, then you can also come into our community as an ambassador, which is really, we support you in your own journey while you also support spreading the word through our podcast. All right, thanks for being here today. And I hope that because you've shared this moment with us today, your week, your life, and your journey ahead has become better because of being here with us today. Take care. Thanks for being here. If you have a topic or question you want to hear more about, send it to us at the email below. Have an inspired day.